Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Don't confuse purpose with passion. I had to give my son his integrity to make his own mistakes. You have to want to change. If you don't want it, you're not going to. I think my gift is being able to bring humor to the light of the circumstances and helping them understand they're perfectly imperfect in their humanness. That was given to me as my message to carry the message of hope. Donna Spear is CEO of Recovery Coaching Experts and a nationally certified recovery coach level one, two, and interventionist. Donna was born and raised in Newport Beach in a middle-class neighborhood with five other siblings. She is an expert with regarded addiction recovery and child sexual predators and groomers as detailed in her recently released book, Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear. Donna's book is a riveting story, taking you from the depths of childhood abuse, drug and alcohol addiction, being preyed upon by sexually deviant men like Bill Cosby, to the rarefied world of international modeling and global jet setting as a playboy centerfold photographed by the world famous Amy Freitag to be the star of seven Andy Sedaris action adventure films. And that's just really the beginning of the life journey towards recovery. The study of her survival is a provocative, powerful blueprint of how to not just survive, but recover and thrive. Donna is 32 years sober and CEO of Recovery Coaching Experts. She has mentored hundreds of women with substance abuse and behavioral issues. She has also founded Women's Recovery Homes and her book will help others learn how to identify the traits of sexual predators and prevent your child from falling to their persuasive charms. Donna's experiences can help women understand and survive the social, physical, and emotional aspects of substance abuse and lead a peaceful, complete, whole, and safe family life. It's a cautionary tale to be sure, but it's also a triumphant one, filled with many uplifting, exciting stories of perseverance. Meeting with Donna Spear today was incredible. She has the most unique kind of purpose with the most unique kind of story involving Bill Cosby and sexual abuse and just her arc of going from the lowest of lows to now being this leadership coach for sobriety and getting people out of sexual trauma. It's just incredible. I think it was hard for me to find the right questions to truly relate to what she's talking about because I personally haven't dealt with sexual trauma. But I hope that you can find your connection to her story because I think her story has a very universal nature to it. Personally, the way I know I'm going to benefit from this interview is that Donna doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. She goes head on to her past trauma. She makes commitments and lives a disciplined life. She doesn't have a need for money. She's obviously a beautiful person. She was a playboy model, all these sort of things. But today what she's doing is the top of her life and she's still moving up towards that. 
And I think that that's extremely inspiring to me. One thing we talked about after the interview ended was that I need to think about what I would do if I weren't afraid. And so the commitment I made to her was that I would email Tony Robbins after this interview and a few of the other people that I really want to be a guest on People of Purpose. And I'm going to do that. So I'm really thankful to Donna for instilling that sense of confidence in me to just take a shot and go for life. I think she really exhibits a person of purpose, and you'll be able to see that throughout this interview. I know that you're going to enjoy this interview with Donna Speard today, and I would love to hear how you relate to it because I'm personally really curious how you relate to her story. So with that, please enjoy this experience on this interview with today's person of purpose, Donna Speard. Hello, Donna. Welcome to People of Purpose this morning. It's great to see you. It looks like we're in the same room and we're in the same state, but we're having a nice video interview. You look lovely. Thank you, Tanner. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So you have a very unique purpose, a very unique story, and I'm really excited to break it down. I've never had anyone like you on the podcast. It seems like you have a real passion around empowering women to tell their true, honest story the way it is and to face those traumas to be able to not only survive, but to thrive. Could you walk us through how you came to that understanding that this is your purpose? Well, it's funny. This wasn't always my purpose. I found this out as I was actually writing a book. So I'm a recovering drug addict alcoholic, and I've always known that it was my purpose because I've been given the gifts of recovery for over three decades, that I've known it was my purpose to give back. Getting sober at an early age at 23, literally my life was saved. I mean, I was on a crash course of suicide attempts and drug overdoses and multi-marriages. I mean, I was married three times by the age of 21. And I'll get into that a little bit more because of my skewed vision of men because of sexual abuse at an early age. I mean, it's all a trauma, tumble, weird life that I had. So I knew that my purpose was always to help women with drug addiction and alcoholism. I didn't so realize that coming forward with my sexual abuse was going to be something that I would be doing later on in life because of the denial around sexual abuse and the shame and the guilt issues that victims have. So when I wrote my book, I've always been really straightforward and really honest about who I am and what I've been through because I know that honesty really helps people if I'm just straightforward and upfront. So when I wrote my book about my sexual abuse, I was really upfront about it and how it affected me and what happened to me, and how it really tormented me, and what it did to my adult life, then I realized that, you know what, maybe, just maybe, my story could really help younger people. Yes. And your new book is called The Naked Truth, The Rise and Fall of Donna Spear, right? It's actually called The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear, because if you read it, you will see how hard I fell. Wow. And you know what? I get it confused all the time until people correct me. Isn't that funny, Tanner? <laughs> Honestly, I do. You have a very classical arc as in it would be apparent to an outside viewer that you had the rise first because you're a Playboy centerfold model. 
you're an actress, you're married. I'm sure people thought these were wonderful men at that time. How did you break out of that false sense of you've made it and you're at the peak of your life? When in reality, it sounds like you've made it way further up now. And that was actually the fall. You know, what's so funny is people have always looked at me like my entire life is together. If you looked at me, even when I was younger, as a model, I always made a ton of money. I've always owned houses. I've always owned exotic cars. And so looking at me, the assumption that I always had everything together was false. And I think that's where we have problems with people. You know, I don't see me as other people see me, just like most likely you don't see yourself as other people see you. You know what I mean? Our insides are completely different as our outsides. So as a young girl, when I was 15 years old, you know, I was this young, beautiful, athletic young woman, right? In reality, at 15 years old, I was being sexually abused by a fire captain who was posing as a photographer. And my insides were crumbling then. And I know this isn't the question you asked me, but it's kind of what I need to get at. Because as I was actually going up on my rise to fame and this, I was actually falling inside. So though my outsides look good, my insides, I was dying. And that's where my abuse started. And that's where my drug addiction, suicide attempts, self-harm and all that started. Though I was very, very careful to keep it a secret because as most victims do, because it's a power struggle and grooming and all this, they believe it's their fault. They think it's their fault that they've done something wrong. And that's what groomers do. They isolate from their families. They inflict a mental instability on their victims. And being 15 years old, I'm very vulnerable as it is. I mean, I know the difference between right and wrong. But what had happened was that he instilled in me that if you tell, this will happen to you. And at that point, I was wrong. I was a bad girl because I'm a child. I'm a child. Right. You know, though my body looked like a young adult, I was mentally a child. So at 15, this went on till I was 16. And then at 16 is when I met Bill Cosby, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. You know, so it was funny how at 16, Bill Cosby actually became my rescuer from a bad situation. Wow. How crazy is that? I know you just go, wow. I mean, how crazy is that? Right. And I'm just meeting you just like anyone who's listening to this right now is meeting you. And you right. said a lot of things and I want to unpack some of it. That's okay. You said that your body was a young woman's body, but right. that your mind was still a child. How was okay. your self-confidence at this time? I would imagine like you're posing for like shoots and you're a model and you're making money. Like you've got to have some confidence around that. But at the same time, you said you were crumbling inside. Right. So it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I landed my first national commercial. Okay. Okay? And that was, and as you read in my book, it was with Tatum O'Neill. And what that did was it got me away from this photographer. Okay. And then I eventually met Bill Cosby. So. What had happened at that point, my body had become objectified. In other words, 
with this photographer, what they do in grooming is they do a slow touch, meaning he'll touch my shoulder and he'll say, you need to move here. You need to move here. If you do this, if you do that. So he slowly touches my body to where my body no longer becomes my own body. It becomes our body. Mm -hmm. Sounds very odd, but that's what happens. And so I am no longer like in control of my own body. It's our body. And that's how the slow sexual abuse starts. So then when I move away from him and I start making a little bit of money, I'm now doing commercials and I'm doing this, that, and the other, my soul is kind of broken. And still at 15, 16, so I met Bill Cosby, I had barely gotten my driver's license. Wow. Right. So think about how young you were back then. You know, I mean, we're just kids. I mean, I'm a sophomore in high school. Right. I've got my first boyfriend who I'm in love with. He doesn't know what happened with the photographer, you know, and then someone introduced me to Bill Cosby, who's doing a children's show. He talks to my family and that's what most groomers do is they get entangled in your family. You know, a pedophile is not, and I always share this, is not necessarily someone who comes up and snatches you on the street or is not someone who like comes up and opens their coat. And says, ah, though they are, but generally a pedophile or someone who sexually abuses a child is someone that knows you or is a part of a family structure. It's an uncle. It's an older sibling's friend. It is someone who is within the family structure. And why is that important that they're within the family structure? What does that do to make them? Because they can separate the child from the adult they get the trust of the older family members or the parents. Mm. Just like the photographer did. He knew my family. He was a fire chief of Fountain Valley where I was raised. He was a well-regarded adult. He had been over our house many, many times. So he's able to separate the child from the adults. And you don't feel like you can tell the adults in your family what's going on? No. Because he also like does leverage on you. Well, if you tell them this, then they're not really going to believe you anyway. So now Bill Cosby comes into the picture, who now gets involved with my family. I will mentor her. I will take care of her. I will help her in her modeling career. My parents are going, at this time, he wasn't on television, but he is now like the Coca-Cola spokesperson for all over the world. So he's very famous, like he's a recognized... Oh, very famous. Yeah. He's got two children shows on television. He's 26 years my senior. He has, I think, five children at the time. He's been married a jillion years. What would an African-American man who's 26 years my senior want to do with me, let alone going through my parents first? Right. Seems like innocent, yeah. Right. He's just being a nice man. He knows someone who knows my family. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have a reputation as a pedophile right. back then. He's just someone who says, you know, I'll help Donna out. I'll fly her out to be on our children's show. Absolutely. And then he slowly, I don't know if you ever saw Michael Jackson's Neverland. No. It was how he got into the family with lavish trips and gifts and clouded the whole issue. And the parents never would have guessed because it was so enmeshed. And that's exactly what happened. 
So then what happened once Bill Cosby became a mentor for you and you were around him? So it, it was very slow and my drinking and escalated because at this time I had no self-worth. I was guilty from the prior sexual abuse and the abuse started. So in the mind of a 16-year-old girl, she wants to think she's important. She wants to think that she's an adult and I'm drinking and he's taking me to all these important places. And now I'm flying around in the Coca-Cola Learjet and we're staying at all these fabulous places and having a sexual quote unquote relationship seems special. I was now special in someone's eyes and that's all I wanted to be. So even the, that moment where it's the first sexual experience with him, you're not realizing, wow, this is a new change in our dynamic. And I had this with the photographer before. I'm not going to disrupt it. Mm -mm. Because the first time I was extremely drunk, he took me somewhere and got me extremely intoxicated. Wow. Yeah. And that was the dynamic of our relationship. Get Donna extremely intoxicated. And the next day, he went out to play tennis. And the next morning, I had a knock on the door at a hotel, and there was a man with gifts. And they were Louis Vuitton purses, which I'm sure you know what those are. But mm -hmm. a 16-year-old girl back in 1980, gosh, this must have been 1980 maybe, I had no idea what these brown bowling bags were. And I'm looking at him going, what are these? <laughs> Why is he sending me these ugly brown bowling bags from Neiman Marcus? <laughs> you know, there's like this butler man in black and white, and he's standing, and I'm like, yay, a present. I'm 16. I'm important. Somebody loves me. Somebody cares. I'm so excited. And I'm going, what are these? They're horrible. These are horrible, but they matched his luggage. And I'm like, this is awful. This is like, you know, and now this is the shut up tokens. Hmm. I'm getting shut up tokens, but someone cares. And this is what I'm thinking. Someone cares about me. Someone thinks I'm important. Someone wants me. Someone likes me because I'm shattered from the previous sexual abuse. Right. Okay. What so is it that's shattered in you? Is it your self-esteem? Is it your... My self-esteem. Ego. Okay. So I'm going to bring this up and this is going to be very heavy for you. And I don't know how your viewers are going to understand this. So the problem with sexual abuse, this is something that's really, really confusing for sexual abuse victims. And if you have any that are listening, they're going to understand this. The problem with sexual abuse for any person who has ever suffered it is the guilt associated with sexual abuse. Okay. Sexual Contact feels good, even if it's from the wrong person. Mm -hmm. So you have a photographer who is 50 years old on a 15-year-old girl, and though it's icky and disgusting and shameful and terrible, it still feels good. So it's very mixed in your head as a child, mm -hmm. and it's wrong, but you still get stimulation from it. And so with that comes the guilt that it's completely confusing. So without proper therapy, I wasn't able to decipher the two. So it made me an extremely bad person, if that makes sense. 
So, I mean, this is really deep, Tanner. This is extremely, extremely deep. And I write about that in my book because it has to be exposed. It has to be brought to the surface for anybody who's ever experienced this. Because if it's not, these women do things like self-harm. These young girls, they cut themselves. They attempt suicide. Mm. They go into the deep depressions. They self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. They continue to get in abusive relationships. And this goes on for many, many, many years. And this is because that they're held down by this guilt so much that they can't ever revive their purity again or something like that? And it's not purity, it's shame. And so the difference between guilt and shame, they have guilt because they had some sort of, the body reacts without its permission, Mm -hmm. right? You get slapped in the face and you have pain without its permission, right? So we have guilt for that reaction. And we have shame, okay, so we have guilt. And we have shame for being who we are because of that reaction. Mm. So we carry that so deep within our souls that it just buries us as women and men, young men too. So I have an Instagram account, right? And I have, I write a lot, not so much about that. That's really deep. And I'm just being really brutally honest with you. And Tanner, you're going, I wish I didn't contact this girl. But, you know. Not at all. And I have men and women who write me all the time thanking me for writing this book and being so brutally honest about this, especially with what I look like. They're going, how could you, with what, everything you have going on in your life, being a movie star and being this and being that, come forward and just address these issues, Donna. You make it okay for us to come forward with these and you make it okay. I had a man write me who was a Marine. And say, you make it okay for me to come forward with this, Donna, and thank you. Yeah. You know, Tanner, I'm not making a ton of money from this book, and that was never my intention. My intention and my purpose in life was just to make people know that it's okay to own their stuff and say, this is what happened. I need help, and I'm going to do what I need to do. Right. What's the process look like to untangle this web of confusion and shame and guilt and start to own it? The process is different for everybody. The process is different. You know, I have a website where you can contact me. I may not be what you need, but I have a lot of different avenues to help untangle that and help you find what that looks like for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can always go to my website at DonnaSpear.com. And I'm willing to always reach out and help you, whether it's your drug addiction and alcoholism, which is always a sign, a big sign of sexual abuse, or if you just have drug addiction and alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of different avenues, and it's different for everybody. There isn't one straight stream. Do you know what I mean? It's like marital counseling. When you have marital problems... You know, you may go into group therapy, you may go in separately one by one, you may go in together, you may go to a church group. You may It's not the same for everybody. I'm not saying there's one cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not closed-minded like that to say, this is what you have to do. Right. Yeah. I wasn't until I was 30 years sober that I came out of denial that some of my deeper issues was behind my sexual abuse. So was getting sober a first step in your case? Yes, I got sober at 23, and, you know, my alcoholism was killing me and destroying the people around me. 
what convinced you that it was time to get sober? You sent me a question in our preparation about how old were you when your drug abuse and alcoholism started? And do you believe it was trauma induced or was it alcoholism that led to traumatic situations in your life? Okay. So it's circular for me. Okay. Okay. So the first time I got sober, I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was right at the end of Cosby's and my relationship. In fact, I was in treatment and Cosby's calling me, telling me that he thought I was a lot more fun before I got sober. Interesting, huh? He wants you to go back. Okay, so it's circular for me, okay? So the first time I got sober, I was 18 years old, okay? And that was right at the end of Cosby's and my relationship. In fact, I was in treatment and Cosby's calling me, telling me that he thought I was a lot more fun before I got sober. Yeah, I don't know if I was alive at this time. Yeah, this is back in 1982. I was born in 91. Oh, God bless you. My son's about your age. Um, (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. But I didn't stay sober then. I just wasn't ready. And then I went out drinking for another three years. So what made me stay sober was I wasn't ready to address some of my bigger secrets. You know, they were too scary and I was too scared to look at them. I, I was too afraid. It was too much for me. And so I went out and drank for another three years and you know, I got married a bunch more times. So by the age of 21, I had two and a half marriages. I had been married once for 42 days. I had gone to Mexico and got married. Had he not died, I'd probably still be married in Mexico. And you're not finding that funny. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. And then I had gotten married at the age of 21. So when I got sober at 23, I was married. And uh, I had done Playboy and I was running around the Playboy mansion and I was married to a man. He didn't like me very much. I didn't like him very much. But, you know, we were married and we were hitting the social circuit. We were in Newport Beach and I was making a ton of money and I had a seven picture movie deal. And You know, I was on the cover of everything and, you know, from the outside, we had it going on. We were like the perfect Newport Beach couple and God, he was so handsome and I was young and beautiful and I mean, we were just in every social newspaper in Newport Beach and, you know, my last night of drinking, I remember I was pretty drunk and he didn't want me to take the car. He was trying to save me from killing people. I'd already been drinking and I wanted to go back out and he was in the driveway trying to take the keys from me and I got the keys and I got in the car and, you know, Tanner, I was, I was so intoxicated. This is my truth. And I write about it in my book. I mean, this is the kind of drunk I was and he was standing behind the car and I got in the car and he wouldn't move and I told him to move and he wouldn't move and I put the car in reverse and I hit him. Oh my God, man. I know. That's a big wake up call. Yeah, he wasn't too happy, and he kind of gimped out from behind the car, and uh, I went off, and I went drinking that night. So that was your, the beginning of your divorce? Uh, close. You know, I came home the next morning, and he said, what are you going to do about your drinking? And I said, I'm going to get sober. And I got sober, not because I wanted to, but because I needed to get him off my back. I was basically a liar. And, you know, what happened was I stopped drinking, and slowly my life got better. But it was hard. I was 23, and people weren't getting sober back in 1984. Right. This was not like nowadays people go, you know, sobriety rocks, and it's cool not to drink. And, yeah, go to treatment eight times and get sober by the beach. And 
you know, all this nonsense and all these celebrities are sober and blah, blah, blah. You know, back then it wasn't cool to get sober. It was not a cool thing. You know, I got sober because I was going to die if I did. Jeez. You know, or I was going to drive down the road and I was going to wipe out a family. I'm curious as a guy, did this guy have something unique about him that persuaded you or like broke the, the cycle of abusive men in your life? Or how did no, this relationship she, do this for you? Okay. So, you know, the truth was anybody who marries a practicing alcoholic is just as sick as an alcoholic tanner. And he was not a well man. He was young and he was not well. And I think he was more attracted to my playmate side and being married to someone famous and, and that kind of thing. Because I was a pretty violent drunk and I used to throw things and yell. And also I was on the road a lot too, which probably made his life a lot easier. I mean, I'd go on the road traveling for like 21 days at a time and then come home and then fly out. It was probably best for him. <laughs> and you know, the Why funny were thing you is, getting married all the time? Like, what did marriage mean to you back then? It didn't mean a lot. But what it did was I had a big hole in my soul. And I needed to fill it. And I would try anything to fill it. Alcohol, men, shopping, you know, whatever I could. You know, I was a very, very sick young girl. I was really, really a sick young girl. And so now you understand, since I've spent so much time in recovery and getting well and learning to get balance and things like that, why it's so important to me to reach out to younger women who are in the depths and have that hole in their soul, to let them know there's hope and there's light. And they don't have to live like that anymore. It's really important to me. I don't want to see any young girls die. You know, right now, especially that opioid epidemic is so high. One person in every eight minutes in America dies from an opioid overdose. And they're taking them because they have that hole in their soul and they get addicted. You know, it's a physiological addiction once you start taking them. And, you know, they die. And I get that because I overdose so many times. They die and they're young and they don't have a chance and they need to be reached out to and let them know there's a better way. You know, I think I wrote on my questionnaire, you know, I opened up a nonprofit, no charge recovery place in Orange County for women hmm. because there's a lot of women, even in an affluent area, that don't have insurance nowadays that takes them in for 30 days. And Though I'm on the board of directors, I'm no longer hands-on. And this place has had over 2,000 women go through free of charge. Wow. We house them, we clothe them, we feed them, and we help them find a secondary living environment for 30 days because we need to give them hope. We need to give them support. We need to give them strength. What kind of changes do you see them make over those 30 days? Are there these cycles that are common amongst them? Well, you know, we help get them sober if they want it. They got to want it. That's the first thing. You have to want to change. If you don't want it, you're not going to. You know, a lot of them change. A lot of them stay sober, clean and sober. And you know what I think the best thing is? They go on to pass it on to other women. Mm -hmm. I think that is the coolest change I see. They go on to go back to school. They become productive sober members of our community. They mm -hmm. give back to the community. 
they become healthy family members to their family again. If they're mothers, they become good mothers again. They're able to be there for their children. I mean, these are women. Some of them are women that used and drank during their pregnancies. Jeez. I mean, those are the kind of shame that these women carry, and they're able now to talk about it with other women and tell them that it's okay. You don't have to live like this anymore. How do you get women to go back to these things that they had shut out, these deep-rooted traumas that can be very hard to face, and then also to forgive themselves after they face them? By being 100% honest with mine and letting them know it's okay that I did it too. And how does that make you feel? You look happy when you said that. I'm free of my past. See, I know I tell you that I hit my husband with a car. I mean, that's horrible behavior. That is absolutely horrible. But I've gone back and made amends to this man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had to go back to this man face to face and tell him how sorry I was. I mean, saying you're sorry is one thing, but when I apologize, I have to change the behavior. You know, it's like kids sitting in the back of the car smacking each other. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Those empty apologies are nothing, but you have to change the behavior when you make the amends. Right. So when I make the amends, made gone back in my history and made the amends, I changed the behavior. Now, do you also recommend when these women are finding sobriety that they also are single in a sense? Or like how do you disentangle them from their abusive relationships simultaneously? So that is up to them. And what I've found, the ones that are capable of doing that generally stay sober. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I just made a little video today about um, having to learn to let go. And that's not only just letting go with a man, woman, or whatever your partner is. It's also letting go of other sick relationship. You know, the fear of being alone or the fear of not getting what you want or the fear of not having enough is very real in our lives. Right. And facing that fear is very scary, or the fear of not being enough, that's generally what it is. So we hold on to things that are generally not good for us. So they have to have support, especially early in sobriety. Wow. Yeah, they're big fears, scared. I know I was a scaredy cat for a long time. Right. You know, I still get scaredy cats sometimes, but it's okay. Yeah. You know, I'm only human. We don't get perfect in this life. It's not like we Someday we just, you know, we get all the answers and we get perfect. I'm perfectly imperfect. And I think accepting my humanness was one of the biggest reliefs of my life that I think the only thing I ever get on this earth is human. Mm. So you mentioned to me that you're a mom, like you said, like I'm as old as your son or whatever. Yeah. How do you stay hands off enough as a parent to like let your kid, you know, groom their own path? But at the same time, you know, like these traps that are so close to them at all points, especially in those teenage years. Oh, I love my son. You know, and I was a single mom a long time. You know, I still couldn't get relationships right. I really tried. I was married nine years and, and I had to learn to be a single mom. Parenting takes a village. It really does. It took a lot. Of, I had to learn to be a mom. I, I'm not maternal by instinct. I really wasn't. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from living at your purpose? 
I know a bad accident, breakups, and head injuries have plagued my path of purpose. The good news is that People of Purpose has now partnered with BetterHelp, an online counseling platform that will assess your needs from exactly where you are and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. I know that when we are purposefully and passionately pursuing our visions, it can be so hard to take the big action you need for yourself. That's why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is available worldwide from the comfort and ease of your smartphone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, call, or video chat as often as you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses without needing to be in one single city or drive and sit in an uncomfortable waiting room just to have a 30-minute conversation. These conversations have the power to literally change your life. We need to make sure we're having them. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. For me, the sign-up process was so thorough and personalized to exactly what I needed. Within 15 minutes, I was done, and the very next day, I was paired with a counselor with the pedigree to help me think through exactly the questions I have at this stage in my life. Since I've met my premarital Christian counselor, Colleen, I've had enormous insights on where and how to create better boundaries, and even had a session with my fiance while she's in Thailand and I'm in California. It's amazing how powerful and accessible counseling is today with the power of the internet. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Whether you need professional coaching for your business, help overcoming a trauma, or just need a thought partner who would walk through a rocky part of a road with you, BetterHelp wants to help you start living a happier life today. People of Purpose listeners get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose. That's betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Well, first of all, my son now lives in Maryland. He's pretty smart. <laughs> my son is my dear friend. I admire and adore my son. I have the greatest respect for him. I really do. He's a good man. He is really a good man. I had to watch my son. I had to give my son his integrity to make his own mistakes. Hmm. I had to watch my son. Like my son, even with scholarships, decided to drop out of college and become a professional gamer. Mom doesn't look super proud of them. And I said, okay, six months. Six months, I will financially support you to do this. And after six months, he said, this was the worst idea in the world. And I'm looking at him, you know, and I just had to zip it and not say, I told you so. <laughs> you know, and he finally graduated and he's got an amazing job, which I'm not going to talk about, you know, in high security. And this is a kid that I swear cannot separate his blacks from his whites. You know? <laughs> you know, and he just spoke in front of someone in the White House recently. And he's 24 years old. And I just look at him and go, how'd this happen? Wow. <laughs> you know, no kidding. But it, it's like, I just guide him and mostly show by example. I have to show by example. It's not by words. I have to show by example. 
Yeah. And a lot of humor, a lot of humor. <laughs> so when you're showing by example, you're coming from a place of not only like I've survived my trauma, I've come out on the other side, you are rising yourself to a position of leadership within this space. How did that transformation take shape? I dedicated my book to my son. I've always been really honest with my son. Mm -hmm. Very, very honest. That's one thing. My son's very honest too and straightforward and he's very funny. I dedicated my book to my son because I told my son about, okay, so let me back up a little bit. I did not come out about Bill Cosby when all the other women came out, okay? Because I didn't do the lawsuit and the rah-rah and get behind because that wasn't my story. I wasn't after financial gain there. That's just not who I am. I came out about Bill Cosby after he was put in jail, okay? Okay. And I had someone write an article for me, and I don't know if you're familiar with Medium. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I had someone write an article on Medium. And I also would not have come forward about Bill Cosby had my parents been alive because it would have broke their heart. So both my parents are passed. And how I told my family was, I sent it all in. I sent the Medium article to my family. Yeah. Because this is my journey. This is my journey. I don't people please. But my son had known I had been sexually abused. I had told him that, but I didn't tell him how, so I sent it to him. And my son's response, because he is well-adjusted through leadership, was, I'm proud of you, Mom. It's your job to tell your story. So I dedicated my book to my son because he gave me permission to tell my story through leadership. Wow. Yeah. So what does your family think of you coming forward? They were surprised at first, and I've got all their support, my siblings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about people who are listening, and I'm hoping that somebody who has experienced some of what you have is listening. and can take the action that they need. I'm also thinking about people who have different forms of trauma. Say they mm -hmm. were kidnapped or they were abandoned or right. things of that nature. How can they also relate to this? Do you have any like truths or principles that you would like to convey? I think trauma has to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me back up a little bit. I think our subconscious has a way of minimalizing our trauma or justifying our trauma, okay? And I'm going to relate it back to me a little bit. So I opened my book with my father, who I adore and I love, and I've straightened out this whole thing, that when I was young, my brother and I always used to fight like kids, right? Mm -hmm. But my dad used to be very violent. And there was one time my father put 17 stitches in my head, okay? You go wow, we go wow. My justification was, but he's my daddy, really didn't mean to do it. Okay? Wasn't that big a deal. Okay? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, we justify this behavior, whatever our trauma is, big or little or whatever. So if we have something that replays in our head and we go, oh, it's not that big a deal or whatever. Obviously, it is. And for me, and I don't know other people, for me, it comes out. It's like 
when we get those red flags that pop up and we push them down, oh, it really wasn't that bad. We push it down. Oh, that person said that, but it didn't really hurt me that bad. Or, you know, I should have said that, but I didn't. Right. So when those red flags come up, I think we have to be true with ourselves. Because if we don't, we keep pushing that under the rug. One day that rug's going to be so big, we're going to trip. And then we start making major mistakes in our lives. And eventually we can't live in denial because it becomes self-harm in different forms. We overeat. Mm -hmm. We stay in a relationship too long. We excessively buy things. We shut down and don't talk. We oversleep. We go to a psychiatrist, but we don't tell them the truth, so they over-medicate. We pay tons of money in therapy, but we lie to them. I love that one. That's always a doozy. <laughs> you know, we don't really tell them what's going on. We have all kinds of different coping mechanisms, but we're really not happy. Mm-hmm. We're not happy. We're just okay. And I think we owe it to ourselves and the people around us to be true. What do you do to come back to that that true happy place inside you? Is there something daily or weekly that that, that you, I do? Yeah. Oh, I, I have touch with that. Like it's easy to get washed away again if you're someone that's susceptible to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is a daily maintenance for me. It is. But it's worth it. Don't get me wrong. It's worth it. Okay? I write. Here's a perfect example. So I'm a big prayer person. Okay? And I wasn't always like that. And I don't know how much time I don't want to run you over. I had a hard time a long time ago praying. I'm not, I wasn't raised religious. I wasn't raised, I wasn't raised in anything. I believed in nothing. But I have a contact with something bigger than me in this world. Mm -hmm. And if you do, it can be anything. I take a little bit of everything and I'm really lucky. So I just have this great belief system. And I know if I can't feel something there and something's blocking me, that my head's talking too much. So I have to write it down. I have to get it outside of myself because it's more powerful. So I'll write it down or I'll share it with somebody. And I go into a check mode. So I have my own mentor. And I say, this is my perception of something. What do you think? And they said, Donna, you got some twisted perception. Because I do. I'm human. (laughs) I don't always think straight. I mean. I am a recovery coach, and I help people decipher their perception. I get the weirdest perception on kinds of stuff, you know, because we all do. We run it through here, and it doesn't always compute. (laughs) Right. So if I don't have clarity here or when I meditate, I got to check my perception on whatever I'm thinking about. Or if you've ever been driving in your car and you got to go from A to B, and all of a sudden you're at B and you go, how did I get here? And you have no concept of how you got from A to B because you're having a think-a-thon in your head and you're talking to people who aren't in the car mm-hmm. and you're not where your feet are, chances are you better check what's going on 
because chances are you have a resentment to someone and you're going, well, if he says this, I'm going to say that. And if she does this, I'm going to do that. And da, 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 da. Because you're not thinking clear. You've got something going on that you've got to get out of your head. Do you think it always takes this big thing, like huge mm -hmm. amount of sexual abuse or a major accident? Or how do you wake people up to be like, okay, now I'm committed to getting rid of that, to cutting down that root of trauma that's not serving me in any way? And I'm going to commit to it daily. How do you get people to that state of commitment? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So people who haven't even had trauma, there's a lot of people who haven't had trauma in their lives that just need to clean up their head every day. Right. People do yoga to do it. People meditate to do it. There are some very balanced people who do that, who can drive on the freeway from A to B and be totally conscious of their surroundings. They can drive and go, God, that tree is green. What a beautiful day. You know, they're totally where their feet are. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that, to be where your feet are and not talk to people who aren't in the room. Right. It's hard for a lot of people to do that. Yeah, when I was in Thailand, I did a 10-day meditation. A lot of our listeners know because I've talked about it a few times, but it was 10 days, silence. You don't talk to anyone. It was like 12 to 14 hours a day. I was fasting in the afternoon. and I felt extremely in touch with, like you said, where your feet are. I could feel the body sensations, the vibrations. I could feel how they would change and how it would go through all the cycles of human emotion, but not getting swept away, always coming right back to that center point, that breath, the consciousness. And right. It's, I think we all need to be doing more of that. Right. Right. We get so busy with the cell phone and the Igata and the chit chat in the head. Mm -hmm. And I always use that driving example because if you have no idea where you are, where are you? Exactly. Yeah. Where are you? We got to learn to be where our feet are. So, what are our thoughts? Our thoughts sweep us away. They bring us out of the present and out of where our feet are, but they feel so important. What are those thoughts? A lot of times, depending upon where people are in their recovery, they're usually worried mm -hmm. about the future, fear about the future, fear, always in fear about the future, the what ifs, the what ifs. Even though your past is so dark and miserable and you want out of it, you still feel fearful. For me? Oh, for me or for people? For people that, are, that have been like, okay, I'm committed to sobriety. I'm committed to understanding oh, my sexual abuse. Guilt of the past. They have to reconcile with guilt of the past. That helps in the amends stage of going through and making amends with people. The guilt of the past and the fear of the future. That is always the blockage of being in the present. The guilt of the past and the fear of the future. That's been mm -hmm. my experience working with people. And what's your unique role in this? What do you think is the gift that you've been given to serve in this capacity? I think my gift is being able to bring humor to the light of the circumstances and helping them understand they're perfectly imperfect in their humanness. How do you introduce humor to such a serious topic? You know, I don't know. I guess it just comes naturally for me. I can find lightness in anything. I know I haven't been very funny on your podcast, but I guess like, you know, 
It's kind of like the guy that was standing out, the man who was standing out behind me in the car. You know what? He just must have been having a bad day and shouldn't have been in the driveway. You know, I don't know. You know, you know, and as I look back, he wasn't the first husband I tried to kill. You know? wow. it's just, I don't know. It's like, you know what? If we can't laugh about it, you know what? What is there to life? I got to be able to laugh about it and not take myself too darn seriously. Right. What do you teach women about beauty? Because oftentimes, like you said yourself, girls that are victims of this sort of grooming and sexual abuse, they're very beautiful on the outside, but then they're broken on the inside. How do they reclaim their beauty? Oh, you know, I don't get all tangled up in the beauty. I mean, a lot of them are really insecure about their beauty. You know what? where it goes with beauty and money and all that? I always tell them, I said, honey, there's always going to be someone more beautiful than you and more rich than you. So get off it. Stop already. You don't give any power to it. You don't try to control said, and say, stop comparing your insides with other people's outsides. You have to stop. Yeah. Because you're never going to measure up. It's an inside job. It's an inside job. Yeah, but they're talking about me. I said, honey, when they quit talking about you is when you should worry. It's going to be okay, really. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right. You know, I'm getting older. Who cares? Do it gracefully and have fun. I mean, you said you're in Orange County right now. This is No, I'm in Northern California. I'm from Orange County, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Orange County culture is like get Botox <laughs> until you die sort of thing. Like, Absolutely. And let them do it. Good for them. You know what? I Let them do it. Why not? See, that's what I, it's like, I don't have any judgment. If it makes them happy, do it. Mm -hmm. See, and that's what I believe in. I mean, if it makes you happy, you know, freeze your face. Yay, freeze it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? That's where my humor is. You know what? Do it. Yay. <laughs> right. You know, have fun. <laughs> so I want to talk more generally about purpose now. Okay. Because you have more wisdom than me on this topic. You've lived a lot more years. You have had really deep experiences in your specific avenue of purpose. What's the best advice that you give others on finding and living out their purpose? I think the most important thing, first of all, don't confuse purpose with passion. Mm. So many people say, find your passion, follow your passion. If you don't have a passion, it's okay. Because this whole hoopla about a passion, most people I've talked to don't know what their passion is. And then they feel less than because they're clueless. Right. Okay. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that helps you grow on your path to purpose? The People of Purpose newsletter, or POP for short, is an email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life to help you more purposefully pursue your purpose. It will include a short story, some words of wisdom to help you be more purposeful during your day, and an update on how the last guest has inspired me and how they can inspire you too. So take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com letting us know you would like to receive the POP newsletter. 
Just include People of Purpose newsletter in the subject header and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. My passions have changed and they change like every other day. I'm going to be a painter. I'm going to be a poet. I'm going to be a potter. You know what I mean? They change and it's good and it's fun and it's exciting. My purpose in life, I have to be quiet and still to hear it. Mm. And it's hard when I'm a poet or a potter or a painter. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? I have to be still to do it. And I have to be disciplined. And it's hard for someone like me to be disciplined. So I have to have a connection to something bigger, whether it be the universe or a God or a higher power or a creator or something to be able to know what my purpose is. And that's just me. I don't know about other people. Everybody's different, and I respect that dearly. I really do. And I'm always open to hearing what it is, how you get there and how you find it. Mm. What's the best advice you've ever received on purpose? Received on purpose? Can you narrow that down just a little bit? Yeah. So as you are making decisions to have sobriety in your life, to reclaim your self-worthiness, to be okay about your past, to have optimism towards your future, and then you're positioning yourself in the role as a writer and leadership coach and all these sort of things. As this scent is happening, did anyone come into your life and give you advice on purpose that just helped you to like click and find that last little alignment to go to your top gear and, and just live successfully within your purpose? Or has it not been like this no. enlightened event or anything like that? All of the things that have happened, like opening up the house and getting sober, I believe were by divine intervention. The writing of the book and coaching, I literally sat down one day and said, inside of me, inside of me, what is it I need to do? And I literally took out a ringed binder mm -hmm. and I wrote a date and I wrote six things down. I need to write my book. I need to coach. I know working with women is something that I have inside of me. And I wrote a couple of things down. I turned the page. I said, what can I do today? And I made a list. And literally within a year, I had my book done. I got picked up by a publisher. This happened, this happened, this happened. And it was just like, and people are going, how are you doing all this? And I said, I sat down one day. And in fact, it's right there on my side. And then I put up a thing on my wall and it says, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And here we are. Wow. Yeah. What would you do if you weren't afraid? I love that. Yeah. Right? Right? How do you think about success in this sense? If you're doing something without being afraid, are you concerned about success? Mm -mm. I'm not concerned about success at all. I'm not like monetarily driven that, and I've never really been monetarily driven. I've always been taken care of financially. I believe that you have to give away to keep everything. I know that sounds really weird. It's just totally absurd. But the more I give, the more I receive. I was going to self-publish. Mm -hmm. 
I knew nothing. Look, okay, you want to hear something bizarre? This is, okay, I graduated high school and wrote a book the same year. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I had dropped out of high school. Yeah, you were with Bill Cosby at 16, flying yeah. around the country. I dropped out of high school, and I was sitting somewhere, and all of a sudden I heard this voice said, you need to get your high school diploma. And I went, no, I don't. They go, yes, you need to go back to high. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm thinking, no, I don't. I really don't need to do this. I do not need to do this. This is, I mean, I've opened up companies. I've done this. I've done that. I've done all kinds of things in my life. I have never needed a high school diploma, right? And next thing you know, I'm writing all these places and getting my, um, whatever you call it, to get all my grades and such. And I literally registered and I didn't get a GED. I went and sat in class with young dropouts. And in eight months, I did two years worth of work. And I graduated cap and gown with a bunch of 18-year-olds. And how old were you? 55 years old. Wow, you were 54 years old. You 54 years old. Cap and gown. In fact, I have my cap right there. It says 39-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> and in, it's funny, and in that list I made, I said, I need to go back to school. I was still in high school when I made this. I thought, well, maybe I had graduated. And I made the list. I need to go back to school and get my recovery coaching license one and two. I need to get my ethics license. I need to get this license and that license. And so I'm writing my book. I'm flying here to get my license for this and my this license and my recovery license. And da, da, da. I'm getting educated here and there. Yeah. So I wrote a book and graduated high school in the same year. Who knew? That's quite the two truths and a lie sort of a party trick there. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. And also your son had dropped out of college too. So I'm sure that was like an interesting time for you guys. Well, it was funny. He was actually back in college. He was finishing up Chapman. So it was just kind of a wild thing. Yeah. So isn't that crazy? Right. Yeah. So what did you have to um, unlearn to find your purpose? Was there any like false advice going on here or nothing nothing i didn't have to unlearn anything i just had to have the discipline to follow what is in front of me the path because it's very open it's very open but it's discipline yeah what is discipline to you what does that mean not laying in bed eating cinnabons watching tv <laughs> that's what i'd like to do every day right. <laughs> that'd be nice yeah i think that it seems like a lot of people my age are kind of doing that netflix kind of thing where you know not exactly cinnabons in their bed but it's still like a lot of time watching other people live these fake narratives on the tv screen right Right. See, yeah, I'd like to do that. I say I'm young at heart. I feel like I'm 20. I'd like to just lay around in bed and eat Cinnabons and watch Netflix all day. Why didn't you do that? If you're financially well off, like you can do that. Yeah, I could. But you know what? It's because it's not where I should be. There's things I know in my heart and my gut that draw me to do the next right thing. That need me to step forward. I know in my heart, it's like I'm going to be going on the road in a week and a half and I've got some speaking engagements. And it's not that I am Donna Spear is so important to speak. It's a message that was given to me that I need to carry. 
See, I truly believe that, and this is just me, that I believe each person has something to offer and at different levels. And even though what I went through sounds so tragic and terrible and horrible, and yeah, it was awful to experience as a young child. I mean, people read my book and they type and go, that is just terrible. It's horrible. It's horrifying. Ah! And yeah, I lived through it. That was given to me as my message to carry the message of hope. And it's my job as a human on this earth to carry that message. And so if these people need me to show up, whether I get paid or not, it is my duty as a woman to show up and carry that message. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I feel like the same thing. I'm the host of People of Purpose. I have to be a person of purpose. Right. It's our job. It's our job just as we walk on this earth. That's our job to do this. See, you understand. I don't need to explain that to you. You get it. Yeah, I'm like people that are listening, I want them to get it too. When you put yourself out there to be held accountable because you are the ambassador of this cause that feels more important than anything, Mm -hmm. I want people to have something like that that's going on in their life where they feel what they're spending their time and energy, their attention on is extremely important and it needs to be a disciplined thing that you go back to to have an impact in the world in alignment with your gifts are and what your life's purpose is. And that's like what I created this for was to help people to discover that and then commit to that and be courageous in that. Yeah. And I think I get it. You get it. My guests seem to get it. I want to help my listeners get it. How do you teach that? They may still be going through whatever it is they have to go through to understand what their purpose is. Mm-hmm. they're still on their journey, maybe. Yeah. And we're just here to help them get there. Mm-hmm. Could be that simple. You don't seem like you're too hard on people when they're sliding back into their old ways or they're stuck in their progression. It seems like you have a, a soft spot still for these people. It's not like you're coming down with a hammer on them. I, well, believe me, my nickname's the Velvet Hammer. I do. (laughs) I am hard. Don't get me wrong. I am hard when necessary because I'm dealing with a disease that kills people. When it's necessary, I do. This is, I don't mess around when it's time to come down. But I also understand that I have to allow people their dignity and their time to carry their message. It's not my job to make them do what they aren't ready to do. It's like, I am not the one with the power. So I have to allow them to come out. Yeah. I'm not God. Though I like to act like it sometimes, I am not the ultimate creator. So I have to allow God his dignity and his time to do his will with his people. Not Donna's dignity and her time to do her will with her people. Right. And I remember that. I always remember that. I love that. Though I want to change him because I know what's best, because I've been through it, but I have to show by example, not by words, unless they're ready to drink or use drugs, and then I hammer, because I know they're going to die. I mean, I've lost a brother to this disease. I lost a nephew to drug addiction. I've lost girls I've worked with because they couldn't get the message, but they weren't ready for it, and I know in my heart they died because they were supposed to be examples to other women. 
Wow. Yeah. It's hard and it's bare and it's truth and it's raw. And that's why when I wrote my book, I didn't leave anything out, man. I nailed it and it's raw and it's ugly. And that's why it's called the naked truth. It's raw and it's ugly. It's really ugly. It does not make me look like a pretty person. Maybe that's exactly what you needed. Yeah. I needed to share the truth. Wow. Oh, well, <laughs> like it or love it, but you know what? I'm getting good reviews and you know what? I hope it helps because that's my purpose. Awesome. Thank you for sharing with us today, Donna. You bet, Tanner. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Thank you for allowing me to share my story with you. Thank you. I know that your story will help a lot of women in a lot of meaningful ways and men as well, like you were mentioning. So I know I'm going to check it out. And I know that some of my listeners will too. And want to really, yeah, appreciate who you are and having come from a place of just survival to now thriving. Like it's quite the arc of transformation. And I know that people like myself, I can't completely relate to everything that you're talking about, but I can really appreciate how you're in this deep, dark valley. And then you come up to the top where you are now leading thousands of young women to your nonprofit centers, reading your books, making these changes in their lives. And you're carrying that burden of, of someone that has to experience women dying and, and things of this nature. And it's, it's just really incredible what you're doing. And I'm happy you're not just sitting there eating Cinnabons, watching TV on your bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jenna, let me do a quick shout out. The name of my book is The Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear. You can pick it up on Amazon. My website is d-o-n-a-s-p-e-i-r.com. And you can see me on Instagram at D-O-N-A-S-P-E-I-R-2222. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. Well, let's let the people go check it out now and uh, let you get back on with your purpose. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You betcha. Thanks again. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question? Or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Just send us an email or a message on Facebook. If you want continued inspiration, subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as receive daily inspiration, Follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it. Doing so will not only help us to grow, but will also allow your voice to be heard and who knows who you could inspire. Cheers, and here's to becoming.